When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister, sitting in the guest co-host chair. Today's guests, plural guests, on Talk of Champions. <laughs> David Hellman of DallasCowboys.com because the draft's coming up. And Ole Miss women's golf coach, Corey Hinkus. The first time in program history, Ole Miss women's golf, the champion of the SEC after defeating South Carolina 3-2 to two in the finals of match play on Sunday. But first, Colin, what's going on, man? Not much, not much, man. How, how about yourself? I'm sick. You can probably <laughs> tell that. My whole family is sick. And it's never fun when you have kids and you oh, get sick God. or they get sick and they bring something home. I'm stopped up. I can't breathe. It's miserable. But that doesn't matter. What does matter is Ole Miss baseball. Ole Miss baseball takes on Mississippi State in non-league action in Pearl tonight, coming off a series loss to Auburn. Give me the stock report. Give me the full evaluation of where Ole Miss baseball is right now. It's funny how one game kind of changes everything because I don't think this team played particularly bad over at Auburn. It just kind of lost a baseball series on the road in the SEC West. And that happens. Um, unfortunately for them, they're kind of a game behind pace after dropping a series to Kentucky. So, you know, it's, it's a situation right now where they probably need to make up a game, you know, which involves winning the series on the road and either at either Tennessee and uh, or LSU and then holding serve at home against A&M at State. So it's a team that probably needs to get to 17 wins in the SEC. Winning tonight would not hurt anything because, look, this game, this is a conference game tonight. Everybody can say oh, it doesn't count in the standings. It counts when the committee looks at it in June when they're talking about hosting and getting into the NCAA tournament. This counts as a conference game, and, and Ole Miss probably needs to manage it as such. So this team probably needs to win 18 regular season conference games, including tonight, to uh, to play baseball here in June, and that kind of seems like a tall task right now. Projected starter Zach Phillips, he's 4-1, and 4.58 ERA. State's throwing Peyton Plumley. Two and three, 408, 39 Ks, 19 walks. Where is Mississippi State right now? They started out so hot, but yeah. the middle of the pack right now in the SEC. They, they can really, really hit. Um, they haven't found anything outside of Friday night on, on the mound. Plumley actually threw on Friday for them. They played Thursday, Friday, Saturday like Ole Miss. He threw uh, 50 pitches on Friday night, and Arkansas got after him. So I guess they're throwing him again tonight and getting him out of the rotation. They just haven't found any consistency on the mound. But they've been able to overcome that because they just mash. I um, think they've got a – I looked at the numbers yesterday. They've got a team OPS over one against left-handed pitchers, which is worrisome tonight with Ole Miss throwing 
Phillips. Um, their team OPS overall is like 930, 940. It, it, they're a team that really, really hits. They're really offensive, and they kind of struggle on the mound. Ole Miss has lost three straight in the Governor's Cup. It's yeah. not their game. No, I don't know if that was just kind of dumb luck. Cause you remember last year they, uh, they had a lead in the ninth inning and crazy blew one of, you know, he doesn't blow saves off. And I know it's weird to say that after Saturday, but that really wasn't his fault, but he doesn't blow saves often. But last year he blew a save against Mississippi state and uh, Ole Miss wound up losing that game when they went into the ninth inning ahead. It feels bigger than it should. If that makes sense. It feels like Ole Miss needs to win this game and for no other reason than the fan base needs to pick me up. The team needs to pick yeah. me up. There's just not a lot of confidence being exuded out there right now for Ole Miss baseball. Win tonight, yeah, over your over your arch rival in a game that really, really matters from RPI purposes, from conference stand or not standings, but from a conference win perspective. Yeah, it's it's a game that Ole Miss really needs to win. Ole Miss needs this game more than State tonight. And if you're an Ole Miss fan, you'd really kind of expect to see some some more energy out of out of this team tonight. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your modern Woodman representative. If you need help financially, contact Thomas today. He'll help you with retirement, savings, getting your financials in order. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. So what does Modern Woodman do? How about financial security for you and your family through life insurance, retirement planning, financial services? How about quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities? Community impact through local volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. If your finances are bogging you down as they were for me, Contact Thomas today. He's a personal friend. He's the one to talk to. 662-296-0186. 662-296-0186. To learn more, go to www.modernwoodman.org. That's www.modernwoodman.org. Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. The podcast also brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. I hate the car buying process. Cannot stand it. It overwhelms me. It's easy for a salesman to get one over on me. Hey, uh, this is a good deal for you. Okay, cool, thanks. I'm not good at haggling. And that's why Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is the only place for me to go. And first of all, anybody that's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows, I do not vouch for sponsors I truly don't believe in. But the car buying process with Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford is second to none, believe me. If you're like me, you're simply just looking to get the best deal. And if that's the case, to avoid the headache... Head on over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell, and what separates them is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. It's probably not going to help all that much, but it'll be cool for me, and they'll probably want to talk about spring football or basketball recruiting or the Ole Miss baseball season. But more importantly, they'll want to make the process as seamless as possible, that you get what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. Stop by and see them today at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. What's not working? To me, it's it's fairly simple. I kind of went and looked at it, and obviously this is a duh, but when this team loses baseball games, two things happen. They don't get hits with runners in scoring position, and Thomas Diller doesn't hit. Um, the numbers compared to when when this team wins and when they lose with Thomas Diller are, are they're they're crazy. Um, he's hitting about 130 in losses in SEC play. He's hitting about 350. He's got a 950 OPS in wins. He's got like a 630 OPS in losses. When he hits, this team wins. When he doesn't, they lose. And, and that's crazy to me that it's that drastic of a difference. Now, obviously, there's some when they face left-handed pitching, they usually lose. But in saying that, I mean, I thought the bats this weekend were pretty good against left-handed pitching. 
Ole Miss didn't play bad this weekend. It's not like they went into Auburn and just shit the bed. That didn't happen. I'm not worried about Thomas Dillard. I'm not worried about Greg Kessinger either. I feel bad for Greg oh. at this point. He would be one of the biggest stories, not just at Ole Miss, but in college baseball, if not for the overall lack of consistent success of his team. Greg Kessinger is smashing. Yeah, he's hit like 450 in SEC play, right? He's been nuts. He's he's kind of you know filled that void of, of Nick Fortes this year. Yeah, if you'd have made me predict, name the player that's going to fill the shoes of Nick Fortes, Gray would have not been top three. <laughs> It's no disrespect to him. I like Gray as a player a lot. Right. Gray's been that dude. I had this conversation, not to get off the Gray point. Has Ole Miss gotten more value out of the catcher position last year than they did la- this year than they did last year? Which is fascinating. Cooper, by himself, has been more valuable if you factor in every single aspect Defense, of the yeah. catching position. Now, hitting-wise, Nick Fortes no. was second to none. If this Cooper Johnson had been there last year, there's no way. They don't make it to at least a super. Now, they probably would have made it to a super anyway. They had one bad Monday. It was unfortunate. Yes. They don't do well in double, double headers on the same day. This Cooper Johnson on last year's team, man, it feels <laughs> like it feels like that team would be a national championship contender. They were anyway, but... They were anyway. The it's value he's bringing defensively, it's it's significant. Yeah, and I don't want to minimize what Nick Fortes did, but I, I just... No, he's I awesome. Speak. Yeah, he's one of the best hitters to ever come through, come through this program. Um that being said, you know, I don't think Cooper gets his due because while he's having a really good offensive season, um, people don't appreciate defense probably like they should. I mean, frankly, I think he's probably the best defensive player that's ever come through this program, especially. Oh, slow down. Slow down. I, you got one butter? I mean, Zach Kozart played shortstop. Okay. That, that's Chris Coglin played third base. Let's yeah. slow down. Yeah. Slow down. No, I, but are those positions as valuable as catcher? No, but Alex Presley in center field, I could make a case. Okay. I'll listen to those three, but I, I'm still taking Cooper over all three of them. Uh, you, you like to get caught up in the hyperbole of it all. That's what you do. You get you have the, you have some of the most recency bias, the greatest recency bias of anybody I know. Okay, that's fair. But what I'm I, I don't think that those guys provide the value at, at a position like catcher that Cooper does. Yeah, I think he's one of the best defensive players to ever come through here. What's he? What's he to you? What's he kind of look like from a draft perspective? Top two to three rounds? I think it's no doubt at this point. I think he's yeah. made himself so much money. And Gray has yeah. too. Gray's hitting yeah. at a different level than, he, than he's hitting his, his Everybody career. Everybody wants to get on Gray's fielding percentage and whatever. I don't really care. I thought he's played a really good shortstop this year. There's been some bad errors, sure enough. But the, the range and the arm really there aren't, aren't questionable. I don't know if he's going to stick at shortstop in the pros. But I still think he's a pretty good defensive shortstop. Oh, I do too. I, I just – I'm not a manager. I'm not sure I wouldn't have put him at third base at this point. That's what I was wondering. Everybody wants to do the move to second, but it seems like third would be the more suitable position for him. But if I had to do it this year, I'd put Gray at third, Anthony Cervidio at shortstop, second base, I'd figure it out, Ryan Olenek in center field. But I don't know, this Josh Hall thing is working. Yeah, I mean, he's the best center fielder on this team, I think, isn't he? It's a big deal for them, for him to come on. Now, offensively, I don't know if he's ever going to bring enough, but for him to be flashing already is important for next year if you're looking to try to figure out the roster going into next year. Yeah, yeah, he played well in replace of Olenek this week. And I guess you, you expect Olenek back this week? I don't know. I don't know. When I saw him last, it was the post-game huddle on either Saturday or Sunday. And, well, they didn't play on Sunday or they did doubleheader. Whenever the doubleheader was, I saw okay. him limping. I mean, it was a serious, serious slump. Now, Ryan is a little bit of a drama queen when it comes to his injuries. Anybody <laughs> will tell you that. It's not me being mean. Mike Clement will tell you that. Mike Bianco will tell you that. They all poke fun at Ryan for how dramatic he is. But this is a serious injury. And yeah. while the limp was pronounced, 
maybe not as hurt as he's letting on. I would be surprised if he plays this weekend. Yeah, he doesn't miss games. Like, you can, you can say whatever. He doesn't miss games. Yeah, he misses if, games. He doesn't miss conference games if it's not serious. I and mean, they he's played not fine sit without him. It's not like they missed Ryan that last week, and that's not the reason why they lost to Auburn. No, no, no. no. Josh Hall filled it fine. Actually, I think Josh Hall gave him a little bit more upside, at least defensively. Josh Hall's extremely, extremely fast out there. Well, I thought I think Ron's played a pretty good center field a lot better than he did two years ago. Um, you know, Hall is he's an extremely good defensive center fielder. And like you said, they you will have to wait and see on the bat. But, you know, he made a play this weekend that probably saved the game on Friday night. Yeah, that diving play was pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean took a terrible tied. route, but he made up for it. Yeah. Center field's yeah. hard, man. Oh, absolutely. Those line drives that look like they're going over your head and you got to stop and freeze and then make a decision, I couldn't do it. Because <laughs> mm. there's no reading. Like, the ball off the bat in left and right field, I mean, you can kind of tell. But when that ball is like just comes off straight at you, yeah. I don't I don't really understand. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what kind of week do they need to have this week? And where do you think they end up? I ask you this every single time that you're on. So, first of all, what kind of week do they need to have? And second of all, where is the postseason resume end up? Where does it end up? I can tell you, I feel like I can tell you after tonight a little bit better. Um, I think they need to go three and one this week. Honestly, um, you know, you're playing a home series and you're playing a Mississippi State team that you need to win over. Um, I think three and one is probably what this team needs to go. And and I think they do that. They'll be right back in the thick of things. I kind of went through it. This team is going to go play for the rest of the year. They're probably going to play eight right handers and four left handers. I'm going to give them losses in every game against the left hander um, pretty much. And, I think this team finishes seven and five, uh, depending on what you want to do tonight. I'll give them a win tonight. I think they finished 17 and 13 in the league um, with a with a Governor's Cup win. Are they going to host? I think they got to go to Hoover and do work. So it's kind of it, it'd be kind of up in the air at that point. Gut feeling is no, but you know if you go to Hoover and win two games, then you would. Where do they not want to go if they do have to travel for a regional? Ooh. Anywhere. It's hard to say because I think if if you're Mike Bianco, you don't really care where you go if you go somewhere that doesn't have a ton of left-handed pitching, right? Like you'll go anywhere that doesn't have a lot of left-handed pitching. UCLA is number one team in the country, but if they don't have a ton of lefties, then you'll go play them because this team against right-handed pitchers can beat anybody. Yeah, if only it were that simple. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm saying. I'm going to be fascinated to see what this what opponents do to Ole Miss in a regional. Like if you're an opponent and your ace is a right-handed pitcher – but you have a left-handed pitcher also in your rotation. Do you hold your ace just to throw the lefty against Ole Miss? Yeah, save your ace for the third game. <laughs> throw the lefty against Go Ole Miss. Go get your best left-handed reliever and your best left-handed starter and start those two guys in the first two games. <laughs> the book's out, man. It's kind of where yeah, Ole Miss it, is. And, and, and do you think there's anything to do to fix it at this point? No. Yeah, I no, got it with you. I think it is what it is. Yeah. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. David Hellman of DallasCowboys.com coming up in just a second. Kadeem Sai arrives today, Daytona State College forward. It's down to Ole Miss, LSU, Arkansas, ECU, and Pitt. I feel like ECU? if Ole Miss – Yeah, well, he has a former coach there. If Ole okay. Miss can get him to shut it down and not go on another visit, he's got two set up for after this visit for LSU and Arkansas. If he, they make this his last visit – it's done. I think he's an Ole Miss Rebel. If he was picking today, I think he's an Ole Miss Rebel. But if he ends up going on those visits to LSU and Arkansas, that's when it gets a little hairy, and we'll have to talk about additional targets potentially. He's the biggest land left. Jarkel Joyner, the Oxford, Mississippi product, joined the program officially yesterday. It's something we talked about on this podcast last week. He's not going to go on scholarship immediately. He's going to sit out the year, 
assuming, of course, he doesn't get a waiver if he even applies for it, but he's not going to go with scholarship immediately, meaning they have at least one spot left open still for the spring recruiting period. They'd like for that spot to be filled by Kadeem Sai, who starts his official visit, arrives at least today, and then the official visit is the 24th through the 26th, starting tomorrow. That's my thing I'm watching for the most this week. What's your biggest Ole Miss story this week? It's got to be baseball. You're you're playing a home series, and you're probably a game behind schedule. It's it's really a series that you can't afford to lose, even though Texas A&M throws two left-handed pitchers. you got to figure out a way to win a game or win two games. So uh, for me, it's baseball, but obviously, you know, size is a big deal. I guess, you know, if they get him, that'll be kind of the wrap for recruiting for for this cycle, right? Probably, probably. Another big story is the NFL draft. How many players, if any, will almost get in the first round? DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown. Will any of those players end up with the Dallas Cowboys, Ben Garrett's favorite team? (laughs) David Herman. Who who are you wanting the uh, Cowboys to take in the first round? If you had your They don't have a first-round pick. Oh, how about They traded it for Amari Cooper. That's right. I yeah. forgot about that. I forgot that you're not a big football guy sometimes. No, I am a big football guy. I'm just not a y- – yeah, okay. You're not enough. a pro football guy. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's right. why I, I don't talk to you. I talk to David Hellman at Hellman DC. <laughs> He's a staff writer for DallasCowboys.com. The Cowboys don't have a first-round pick, but they do have a second-round pick, and a number of Ole Miss Rebels could be in play there. David, what's up, man? It's been a while. How you doing? Yeah, good to hear from you, man. What's going on? The draft's coming up. The Cowboys are in perfect position to potentially draft an Ole Miss Rebel. Not your favorite thing, probably. But Dawson Knox could be in play there. A.J. Brown, maybe, probably not. Greg Little. What, what's right now the overall draft board for the Cowboys? What do you think is the biggest need right now? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we say this every year. The Cowboys, you know, their whole strategy is they try to fill their needs in free agency so they're not reaching in the draft. I mean, you know, it's it sounds nice. It's, it's kind of a draft cliche, but – if we're being honest, I think they've really done a great job uh, accomplishing that goal this year. I mean, you go out, you get Randall Cobb to replace Cole Beasley. Uh, you bring back Cam Fleming to fix your swing tackle problem. You get George Iloka. You know, he's, he's not the Earl Thomas signing that so many Cowboys fans wanted, but at least it's a veteran safety who can help. Um, so they're really not looking at too many weak spots, which I think makes for a really fun second round because I think – barring something crazy, I really think they'll take the best available player. I know there's definitely a preference. You know, you look at their pre-draft visits and the work that they've done. I think they would prefer to draft a safety or a defensive lineman, but if it doesn't fall that way, I don't think they're going to force it. So, you know, if I had to bet right now, I think they're looking at safeties and maybe defensive tackles. Um, But I, I think almost anything is, is on the table. I think quarterback is just about the only position I think has zero chance to get taken, which uh, should be pretty exciting by the time they finally get up on the clock. All right, let me throw a scenario at you. Safety being the biggest need, probably. But Greg Little's there at 58. Now, they've got offensive linemen, but Tyron Smith, their left tackle, had some injury issues lately. Cam Fleming did a great job as a swing tackle for them last year. But the offensive line is is a position that you never stop adding talent. Greg Little's there at 58 somehow. Is that the best player available? I feel like that that's a scenario that's getting kicked around Cowboys Twitter. I think probably because, you know, Little's been linked to the Cowboys. You know, he's visited with the team. Uh, he's one of the only offensive linemen that they've been linked to. I'd be curious, you know. So we've kind of – we've talked this whole scenario out. Lyle Collins is very likely gone in free agency next year. I just don't think they can afford to pay him what he'll be worth when he hits the open market. Um, they signed Cam Fleming to a two-year deal, so – he could be your stopgap right tackle if you needed him to be. 
And then you're probably looking at making offensive tackle a high priority in next year's draft. Or, you know, do you want to do that and, and risk that you don't get uh, a badass offensive tackle in next year's draft? Or would you just draft a, a, a badass and Greg Little a year early uh, and kind of have your succession plan in place? I don't know if they would, but if they're wiped out of options at the other positions they need, I think it's something they would consider. Like, I, it, it certainly wouldn't shock me. I think it's probably, you know, on their list of scenarios, I think it's probably option D. You know, I, I bet they probably have three plans they like more than that, but in the right circumstances, I think they'd pull the trigger. Looking at the draft, your coworker at DallasCowboys.com, Brian Broidis, released his top 100, had A.J. Brown at like 53, which surprised me. Um, but Dawson Knox was in there in the 60s, D.K. Metcalf, Greg Little. Which one of those players, if the Cowboys draft an Ole Miss Rebel, I cover Ole Miss for a living, but the Cowboys are my team. So if, if one Ole Miss Rebel were the best fit for the Cowboys right now, that player would be who? Probably Knox. And that's, you know, Brian, Brian is a former scout. He's, he's made a lot of money doing this over the last 20 years. Uh, I trust his evaluations. We actually shameless plug for our draft podcast. Uh, we had a really spirited debate. Um, Dane Brugler is also on our show. We had a spirited debate about uh, where the two of them rank AJ Brown, because Brian is awfully low on him compared to other people. Um, I would say Dawson Knox. And, you know, that's not me evaluating tape. That's just me knowing the Cowboys needs and knowing who they've talked to and who they've looked at. Uh, you know, conventional wisdom says Metcalf and Brown are, are really not in the Cowboys. You know, that's, that's probably not an option. You know, it's not just that they don't have a first round pick, but they don't pick in the second round until the end. You know, they're six picks away from the end of the second round. I have a hard time believing either one of those guys would be there. Uh, you know, we mentioned little, but I think there are a few other things they would rather do than draft an offensive tackle. Uh, Knox fits a need. He's, you know, he's an athletic specimen. He's little, little raw for, for my taste. Just, you know what? I think he had 39 catches in college. Um, I'd love to draft a guy with a little bit more college production, but I, I think they like him. I know they brought him in to take a look at him and, like I said, if they're wiped out at one of those defensive positions, I certainly think he's a guy they could take a look at. Now, quarterback, not an area of weakness for the Cowboys. Well, depending on your point of view, I guess. But they're not going to be drafting quarterback. They could draft a backup running back. Who's available to them? When could they reach for a running back? Or not necessarily reach, but just take a running back in this draft. Do you think they do that? I think it's a damn near certainty. Again, you can never you can never predict how the board's going to fall, so you can't. You don't want to speak in 100% certainties, but they literally don't have depth. They have nothing on the depth chart behind Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, there's still some free agents out there. You know, TJ Yeldon is, is still available. There's a few veterans uh, that they could consider, but they've made it very clear they want to draft a backup. They don't want, you know, a sub-package scat back. They want a well-rounded, complete running back who can carry the load if, if Zeke isn't available for whatever reason. Uh, you saw that carry count add up on him last year with the, and you know, he, he didn't miss any game time, but you could just tell he was working through some injuries with all the hits he was taking. Um, and, and again, to go back to my point, I think they could do that as early as the second round. If there's no better options, uh, you know, Damian Harris from Alabama is a guy they've brought in. You'd probably have to draft him at 58. I don't think they want to do that, but you never know who's going to be there for you by the time you finally pick. Um, I could see him doing it in the third round. Um, 
Travion Williams out of A&M is a guy that I think could be wonderful here as a backup. Uh, Justice Hill out of Oklahoma State. Um, they brought in Mike Weber out of Ohio State for a visit, uh, maybe a fourth-round guy. I personally, they have one pick in the third round and two picks in the fourth. I think one of those three picks will be a running back. Uh, you know, good luck guessing who it is, but I think that's a pretty good bet. David Hellman, staff writer for DallasCowboys.com. Where do you want Devin White not to go? You're an LSU grad. LSU's your team. Where do you want to see Devin White not end up? You know, Devin White is one of my all-time favorite LSU players. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. I love to watch him. I, I love to watch him play. I, I, all of that said, I think it's wild that he's getting hype as like a top five pick, uh, just because off the ball linebackers are they really that valuable in today's NFL with how pass happy it is and, and the way the rules are, I just, I don't know if that's worth the value. Uh, you know, I see him getting mocked to Oakland at four and Tampa Bay at five all the time. And it, it just kind of, it kind of shocks me. And I mean, I don't mean that to throw shade at Devin white. It's just kind of the nature of the league these days. Um, having said that, I don't really care as I mean, I would prefer he don't go to Atlanta. Atlanta has loved drafting LSU running backs over the last few years. Uh, Deion Jones and Duke Ridley are there. I would, I would love it if they could stop that and make sure he's uh, Devin White's not one of them. Other than that, you know, just good luck to him. Did you ever think that Tyron Matthew would end up with the Cowboys? It always felt like that that was going to happen and it never has. Uh, you know, I really, I beat the drum really hard for that last off season when he was coming off his ACL tear. Uh, and it was clear that he wasn't going to get a ton of money. Um, but you know, working here and having the connections we have, uh, it, you know, it was made pretty clear to us that he wasn't, they didn't consider him a scheme fit for whatever reason. I think that's insane. Uh, the guy's a playmaker. If he doesn't fit your scheme, maybe you should change your scheme instead of not being interested in him. Um, I was I was shocked when when he signed in Houston for one year seven million and the Cowboys didn't get in on it. Uh, but then you know he went on and had a pretty good year in Houston and I had a feeling he would be out of their price range this year. So uh, I, I won't say I'm surprised. I'm I'm a little disappointed they didn't try harder to get something done last year. But uh, from a practicality standpoint, now you know what what did the Chiefs give him like eighty million or something like that? I think that's a little rich for me. Uh, so, yeah, last year, last year I think you had an argument, but uh, not so much this time around. What's the surprise move the Cowboys can make in the draft this weekend? I mean, I think it would – I mean, if they draft a running back at 58 or honestly even at 90, I think it would be shocking to those that don't closely follow this team. You know, those, those of us who followed on a day-by-day basis, I don't think you'd be surprised by anything, but – you know, if the Cowboys are quiet on Thursday night, obviously don't have a pick, and then you wait all the way until the end of the second round on Friday to finally make a pick, and you draft a running back to back up your all-pro in Ezekiel Elliott, I think that would surprise a lot of people. I don't think it'll happen, but uh, I think it would definitely cause some controversy. Who's going first overall? It's got to be Kyler, right? I mean, yeah, it feels it's not my job to cover. I just, if you know, you bring in Cliff Kingsbury – and he's the, you know, he's the spread offense guru and he's going to revolutionize your offense. You might as well give him the quarterback that he wants to work with. I mean, I know, you know, Josh Rosen, I don't think he's as bad as people want to paint him out to be. He played one year for a terrible team. You know, people wanted to close the book on Jared Goff after one year too. But again, 
you brought in Kingsbury as this like bold move to revolutionize your offense. And he loves Kyler Murray. You might as well give him the guy he loves and get what you can for Rosen. That's, I think it's going to be Kyler. And I think Rosen will be on an NFC East roster by the end of the weekend. That's my, that's my bold prediction. Of the remaining big contracts, the Cowboys are going to hand out who gets done first. Um, we've actually, we've argued about this a good bit since DeMarcus Lawrence signed. I mean, just in the short term, Amari Cooper makes the most sense because if you extend him, then you lower, you lower his cap hit. He's going to hit the cap for 14 million this year. If you extend him, you can bring that down, but I just think it would be smart to get the quarterback done. I know, you know, not everybody's sold on Dak, but tough cookies, basically. Uh, he's, he's won, you know, two division titles. He's won a playoff game. He's the second winning as quarterback over the last three years, whatever the stat is. Uh, and the market dictates that he's going to get paid. And as you already saw with Russell Wilson, these prices are getting out of hand. I would rather get that done now than have to compete with, let's say, the Rams or the Eagles when they extend Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. You know, that price tag is only going to go up as the salary cap does. So I'd rather get Dak under contract right now. Uh, and a year or a year and a half from now, that contract will look like a bargain as opposed to waiting and paying even more. So uh, I think they would be very smart to get Dak done, you know, by by training camp at least. But uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if their priorities line up with mine. It's fascinating to me what the Cowboys are going to pay Dak. I don't know where the, the the price point falls for him specifically. It's hard to predict. I mean, you know, everybody's freaking out about Russell Wilson. Like, Dak's not going to get $35 million a year, but he could probably push for 30 And I know that sounds crazy, but that's just the going rate for a winning quarterback right now. Um, and, and that's kind of my point is that's the going rate right now. What if you don't do the deal and, you know, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff sign at, uh, at let's say, 33 Now, all of a sudden, uh, you're in an even deeper hole because he's going to be able to command that much more salary. Um, and you know, who knows what remains to be seen, you know, with the 2019 season, but if I had to bet Dak's not going to do anything to hurt his earning potential, you know, maybe the Cowboys won't win the super bowl. Um, but he's pretty firmly established that he can win with pieces around him. And I think this is going to be the best roster he's had in his, you know, three going on four years with the team. So I have a hard time believing he's not going to win games and therefore his value is only going to continue to go up. So again, I'd rather just get that contract over with and start the clock on it because I think the price is only going to go up the longer you wait. We mentioned AJ Brown, Ryan Brodus put him in like 53, 54, somewhere like that in the top 100. Dane Brugler was on this podcast last week. He had him as a first rounder. Where do you fall with AJ Brown? I mean, I just, I, I don't buy this receiver class as a whole, to be honest with like every, there, every, there's so many differing opinions, you know, like some people have Hakeem Butler at Iowa state in the first round. Some people have him, you know, outside their top 100. Uh, Nikhil Harry is another guy like that. Obviously both of the old miss receivers, Metcalf and Brown. There's a lot of differing opinions about those guys. I remember when the draft cycle started, people were touting uh, Hollywood Brown out of Oklahoma as a first round pick. And now there doesn't seem to be a consensus on him either. So I'm taking the under on receivers in the first round for this year, at least. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing AJ Brown is like one of the first six or seven picks off the board on Friday, but I would be a little bit surprised if he's a first round pick. Having said that, 
Dane is the guy whose opinion matters. I'm not a draft analyst. He is, but it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. You're big on Debo Samuel, aren't you? I love Debo Samuel. I would, yeah. I would do a cartwheel if the Cowboys drafted him at 58. I know that sounds crazy, uh, but you look at the receiver core. Michael Gallup's the only one with a long-term contract situation figured out. I would love to add Samuel as the future slot receiver and uh, return guy for this offense. Let me fandom out real quick. There's no shot they still go after Eric Berry. He's still out there. No one signed him. They're not doing Eric Berry. No, I think that's a medical thing. I don't think he cleared muster with their medical people. Um, you know, too much, too much wear and tear. Uh, not enough bang for your buck, if you, you know, so to speak. Um, you know, they brought in Iloka. He's a guy that could conceivably start or at least be part of the platoon. And I said this last year, and I was wrong. So again, you never want to speak in, you know, a hundred percent. But I would just be shocked if they don't come out of this with a safety. I think, you know, that's clearly been one of their big priorities. It's one of the, the biggest weaknesses on their roster. Like I said, their best case scenario is for one of these safeties to still be there at 58, uh, whether it's Taylor Rapp from Washington, whether it's Thornhill out of Virginia, maybe uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the, the tweener from Florida. I just, you know, they've been looking too hard at that position for me to believe that they're not going to try to make a go at it. Last one, where does Jason Witten coming out of retirement to play again for the Cowboys rank as far as weirdest stories you've covered as your years have gone with the Cowboys. Ben is the most surprised I have ever been. And I cover a team that throws a curveball every other day. Right. Um, I, I, I was, I was floored. I was in, I was actually in Indianapolis for the combine. And like I said, I've never been more surprised. And even funnier than that is, you talk to people in the organization, the circle of people who knew that was coming was very, very, very small. Like there were, there were people on the inside who you would expect to be tied in who didn't find out until the last minute. It was, it was crazy. And it, you know, it shakes up the draft picture too, because you look at the tight end position and it looks like something the Cowboys need, but I have a hard time believing they're going to spend a big resource on it this year. You know, we mentioned Dawson Knox, if there's no better options available at 58, maybe they pull the trigger, but you've got Witten here for a year. You need to get snaps for, for the young guys, Jarwin and Schultz to figure out if they're worth anything. And when you're done with all that, how many snaps is a rookie going to get anyway? So why would you bother when you could just do it next year? Um, which, you know, going back to February, I would have said tight end is far and away the favorite to be the pick at 58, but you know, that's why we always joke you can't really do mock drafts until this time of year because there's always going to be a few curveballs, and that one was very, very big. i, I got to say, because I'm a huge Cowboys fan, so I can just nerd out when David's on, I was bummed that Cole Beasley went to the Bills and just started shitting all over the Cowboys. That weirded me out. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it's, that's a thing that happens with, with the, the free agent market. I mean, players... Players take, I mean, I, I know they try not to. People say it's a business, but it's pretty obvious that a lot of people take this stuff personally. You know, Cole Beasley made a lot of plays during his time in Dallas, and uh, he didn't feel like that was valued clearly from a monetary standpoint. I don't think the Cowboys even came close to offering him what the Bills did. And, uh, you know, he can say no hard feelings. It's just a business all he wants. But the beauty of social media is, like, you, you kind of give yourself away with your comments. It's the worst. Um, so, it's the worst, isn't it? 
I love it. Honestly, I, I, I love being tied into to what people are doing and thinking in the moment. And yeah, like people make mistakes, but that's, that's part of the fun of it. Like my life is more entertaining because Cole Beasley is willing to go on Twitter and fire shots. Like, yeah. I guess it's dramatic, but, uh, it keeps things interesting at least. I got to give him this. He's got some bars, man. He really does. I, I mean, I was I was surprised at at how good his album actually was. Like, I mean, you know, he's not he's not Jay Z, but I turned it on and I was expecting to turn it off like thirty seconds later, and I I listened to most of it. I was like, yeah, like you're you're pretty talented. Like, yeah, it's like okay, sure, not yeah, yeah. Although I I'm I mean, no offense to Cole, but. I wonder if he has the notoriety to put out a rap album if, as a receiver for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, you know, no, like yeah. the spotlight, the spotlight's a little brighter in Dallas. So I'll be interested to see how he adjusts to playing in a market like that. Maybe, maybe he'll love it. I mean, I know Bills fans are, are super passionate, but uh, it's definitely going to be a departure from the 24 seven spotlight that's on you when you play for the Cowboys. Real quick, who's your favorite player in this whole draft? Favorite player in this whole, it's, it's actually like, it's honestly, it's funny, you know, Dane and Brian, they watch, they watch tape of every single guy. Like that's their job. Like I'm, I'm a beat writer. You know, I, I try to stay plugged in, but I don't have time to watch 400 prospects. Yeah. So like, I haven't, I haven't really been paying attention to the guys at the top of the draft. Cause I know there's no way they wind up with the Cowboys. So right. why bother? Um, but I love, I love the two tight ends from Iowa, uh, Hawkinson and Fant. I think, I think they're both going to be stars. It's like if, if Noah Fant winds up with the Patriots, I think it's game over. Um, I love Debo Samuel. I think he's going to be a badass. Um, and then uh, I mentioned him earlier, Travion Williams. It, if he's there at 90 for the Cowboys, I think that would be a fantastic pick. I know running back doesn't seem like a huge need, but I think you upgrade your, your depth big time there. And, you know, not that I think Zeke is going anywhere. I think that could be a guy that could be your starter if you don't feel like re-signing Zeke Elliott. So, uh, yeah, uh, for the Cowboys, Williams and Samuel, for sure. But uh, those two tight ends from Iowa, I think, are going to be stars. He's David Hellman, staff writer for DallasCowboys.com, at DC on Twitter. LSU grad, hater of Ole Miss, but he came on an Ole Miss podcast anyway because he's good people. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks. That was David Hellman at Hellman DC, staff writer for DallasCowboys.com. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Sitting in the guest co-host chair is Colin Brister at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud. Just simply search Talk of Champions. For those of you that are Game of Thrones fans like Ben, I just released on Monday at about 2 a.m., so really Tuesday, <laughs> the latest edition of The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. I've been letting those stand on their own, not putting them in the podcast because, man, y'all are listening to them. Last week, I put out a podcast, Talk of Champions, on Monday. I released A Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers late Monday night. Which one do you think has more clicks right now? I'm going to guess not the Talk of Champions one. Not the Talk of Champions. No, sir. <laughs> no, sir. It's The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers, and I'm both flattered and disappointed in every single one of you. I'm kidding. <laughs> Keep listening to The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers, and if you have Game of Thrones questions, send them to me on Twitter at SpiritBen for Maester Daniel, and we'll cover it. If you didn't know, this weekend, a big development happened for Ole Miss women's golf, and I know that's not something we talk about much on this podcast, 
but it happened for the first time in program history. The Ole Miss women's golf team is the champion of the SEC after defeating South Carolina 3-2 in the finals of match play on Sunday. This program has never won much of anything in its history. I think 1999 is the only other time this program finished in the top half of the SEC, and yet here they are winning the SEC. They deserve their due. It's a pretty cool thing to see. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, you know, I obviously uh, kept up with it a lot on Sunday and turned it on there at the end to, to see the finish of it. And it was kind of just – and look, I'm no golf uh, aficionado by any stretch of the imagination. If it's not college just, baseball, Collins a lost cause. No, no, that's not true. That is not true. I'm I being up, mean. I, it's okay. I keep up with soccer a lot. Um, anyways, you know, I, I kind of just thought this – this golf team, they look like they were extremely mentally tough because they had to battle back in a lot of situations that it probably wasn't in, to their advantage. And it, that kind of just kept coming. They, um, they kept and, coming. Macy Samuski, if I said that correctly, hit a 51 <laughs> foot putt. Yeah, that was big. That was nuts. <laughs> I asked head coach Corey Hinkus about that putt and everything else that came with winning that title. And now they head to NCAA tournament play. If you want to pay attention, if you want to keep up with this, the Rebels will learn their postseason regional site during the NCAA tournament selection show this coming Wednesday, April 24th at 4.30 p.m. Central Time on the Golf Channel. And Corey and Macy will be on the Golf Channel tomorrow morning. So if you want to follow That's the cool. women's golf team, check them out on the Golf Channel and pay attention to their run. But maybe you just want to hear what happened, what went down. I talked to Corey earlier today for this very podcast catch me up i don't pretend to be some golf expert i do play golf not well but Corey, of course knows it better than anyone and she joins us now this is Corey hinkus on the cheney's pharmacy phone line for all your pharmaceutical needs cheney's pharmacy is the place to go cheney's offers prescription synchronization immunizations compounding a two-lane drive through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance it's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in oxford over 40 years cheney's pharmacy provides the best customer service out there so give them a call 662-234-7221 or go visit them at 501 bramlett boulevard that's right off of university avenue they're open 9 a.m to 9 p.m monday through saturday and 1 p.m to 9 p.m on sundays you can find them online at cheneyspharmacy.com cheney's pharmacy much more than just a pharmacy Going now to the Chinese Pharmacy phone line to speak to Ole Miss women's golf coach Corey Hinkus. For the first time in program history, the Ole Miss women's golf team is the champion of the SEC after defeating South Carolina 3-2 to in the finals of match play on Sunday. Corey, it's an exciting time. Have you come down yet? or uh, What's the vibe right now? How exciting of a time is it? Oh, it's extremely exciting. We're all still on cloud nine and finally catching up on all the text messages and um, you know Facebook, Instagram posts and I'm sorry if I didn't respond to everyone, but I'm trying my best, and I know that I've read them all. But um, it's just truly an amazing time for the Ole Miss women's golf program, and we're so excited. Macy had an incredible day, and we'll get to that in a second. But first and foremost, you go into the tournament, you go into match play, you draw Florida first, top-ranked Florida. What went right to advance past Florida and the road in which y'all got to Sunday and won? But first you had to get through Florida how did you do it? What was the matchup like? And what led to the victorious weekend that was? Yeah, you know, it was great just to make match play. Julia Johnson did an amazing job. I finished in second in the stroke play portion. And, um, you know, we were hoping to finish as a higher seed, but we squeaked our way in there. And, our, you know, our first match was Florida. And we know what a, a great team Florida is. We, we played against them a few weeks prior at the Georgia event, but they didn't have all of their players because some of them were at Augusta National playing. So um, we knew it was going to be a tough match, but we – you know, we really gave it our all, and it it boiled down to, um, let's see, Kennedy Swan won her match, Julia Johnson won her match, and it boiled down to Macy Samoski beating Marta Perez, who's 
you know, she's a stud. She's an All-American and extremely great player. And, um, you know, Macy ended up beating her on the 19th hole, and we're just so proud of her. Macy, it's it's fascinating because in seven starts this season, she had a 76.13 stroke average with her best individual finish being a tie for 28th. But come this weekend at Greystone, uh, she turned into a world beater. Uh, how did she turn it on? Uh, how was she able to have the day that she had to lead y'all to that championship win? You know, I think that's the funny thing about golf. You know, some days you're on and that's what you practice hard for. You, we try to practice and put these players in pressure situations so that when the time does come to be on the big stage that, that they can handle the pressure. And uh, Macy definitely did that this weekend. She had nerves of steel and to do what she did, is just, it's unbelievable, really. I mean, to be the player that won, you know, in the 19th hole against Florida and then to win on the 21st hole against Georgia. And then as you guys saw on TV, the 22nd hole against Lois Kay, who is, you know, Lois K goes, she's ranked 24th in the country. I mean, it's just, it's truly amazing. And, um, you know, couldn't be more proud of Macy and she just, she just gutted it out and she works hard in every aspect of her life. Really. Um, a lot of people probably don't know this about her, but she was valedictorian of her high school of 730 students. And, um, so anything she does, she does it well and she does it with diligence and works really hard at, at everything she puts her mind to. This program before you got here was not known as a perennial winner in any stretch of the imagination. I think it was 1999 was the last time Ole Miss finished in the top half of the SEC in the tournament. And yet here you are having led this program to its first SEC championship. First and foremost, when you got here, what were the challenges you faced? What did you see as far as what you had to do to build this program to a place where you could get to this point? Well, I think the biggest part was just having the players buy into believing that we could do it. You know, um, when we came in, our goals were to win a national championship within, you know, the first, you know, I don't know if we put a number on it, but the first 10 years or so. And, you know, some players kind of laugh at us like, yeah, right. You know, and it's really cool to see people now sending text messages to us. Like, this is just unbelievable what you've done with this program. And um, we set our, set our sights high early on and, you know, winning this championship's a feather in our cap, but it's, it's not the end at all. You know, we still want to win national championships and continue to, to stay at the forefront of women's golf and to keep competing week in and week out. So, um, you know, it's just truly amazing. And we really got the players to buy into what we're doing here. And we have players that want to work hard and want to come to practice every day to make themselves better and to make their teammates better. And I think that's what it boils down to is just really caring and loving on these players and letting them know that we believe in them and, you know, anything's possible. When you went into those rooms recruiting these girls to come to your program, what was the pitch? What did you sell to them? And was there any one player that was biggest as far as getting the momentum rolling to where you could build this team to where it is now? Was there any girl that said, all right, coach, I'm going to trust you. I'm going all in with Ole Miss. And that was the turning point, do you think, in building this roster? Absolutely. So, you know, I think the, the main thing we pitched is opportunity. It's never been done at Ole Miss, and we, we have the facilities. We just built brand-new facilities that are – top notch and um, these players can hit any and every shot they want to hit um, so that when they go to any tournament they're not shocked by hitting out of different grass or different bunkers because we have it we now have the ability to practice um, so I think the the main pitch was the opportunity why not be the first why go to another school where it's already been done by a lot of people and you just kind of get lost in the crowd you can be the first here um, so I think that's what the players bought into and I would absolutely say our our turning point kind of recruiting class was getting Julia Johnson and um, Connor Beth Ball. They've been just tremendous for our program, along with all the players. But um, I think they were just been a big, a big factor in that with Julia Johnson, you know, being SEC freshman of the year last year and Connor Beth Ball making the all freshman team and, 
and Julie also made the second team all SEC as a freshman. So um, it, it's just been fantastic to, to watch where this program has gone. Um, when we took over four years ago, we were ranked 134 in the country. So it's, it, it truly is just a fantastic feeling. When on Sunday did it become real? When did you think to yourself, oh, this is happening? Uh, not till it was over. I mean, because it was a nail-biter. The oh. entire weekend was a nail-biter. And, you know, and I had faith in Macy. Once she made that 51-foot putt on 18 to extend the match, she walked to the next hole and she told Coach Zach, she said, Coach, I'm winning this. She's like, I got this. And so just to, you know, know that she'd been in that position, this is the third time over the weekend that she'd been in that position, that's when, you know, we kind of knew, like, all right, Macy, it's time to, like, seal the deal. You've got this. You've been here. You've been in this position. So, um, but South Carolina is such a good team that you, you never know until that last putt falls in the hole if you're going to win or not. So, um, but we did it, and it's it's just been a whirlwind of emotions and ups and downs all week, and we're just so thankful and really appreciate all the support from everyone in the Oxford community and just people from all over, really. Ole Miss won at Greystone Golf and Country Club. That's just outside Birmingham. You mentioned Macy's 51-foot putt. How were the greens playing? Uh, what was the setup for her? What slope or anything did she have to play? Were they playing fast? How was she able to get that done? Because like you said, she doesn't make that. You're probably not here today. So how did she get that done? Yeah, she just, um, you know, I don't know. It was perfect speed. As you, you watch that putt, it literally rolled over the front lip with perfect speed. Um, the greens were playing pretty firm and fast. Um, they got a lot of rain the week before we came, and the fairways were wet. But um, so, the you know, our drives and things weren't really rolling out. But the greens were firm and quick. They would double cut them and roll them. And um, so definitely made it a good challenge for the girls. But um, did a lot of speed putting throughout the week. And uh, Macy's short game was just phenomenal. And once again, I chalked that up to just the great practice facilities that she has to be able to, to, to really grind on her short game. Ole Miss, you'll learn your postseason regional site during the NCAA selection show this coming Wednesday, April 24th at 4.30 p.m. Central Time on Golf Channel. Do you have any idea where you might go? Is there any particular site you got in mind thinking that they'll send you? Do you care? What What's the overall vibe going into that selection show? Yeah, you know, I haven't put too much thought into it. I'm just, you know, happy we're going. We're, we're going to go somewhere. So um, I wouldn't mind going to Auburn just because we just played there a couple weeks ago. So the, the team has already played the course, and I feel like it's a course that um, you have an advantage if you've played it a few times because it's, you know, some tricky greens. And um, so – Personally, I, th- I think that would be a good spot, and it's just down the road. But once again, we're excited. Anywhere they send us, we'll be there. <laughs> okay, so what do you got to do to make a run? What What do you need the team to improve on? What is your advice or what is your um, evaluation of the team as you go into tournament play to try to make a run in the national championship? What What do the girls got to do? Yeah, um, we just need to continue working on our short game and um, just we're going to continue doing some pressure type situations, putting them in during practice to really do our best to um, finish strong. You know, this week holes 12 through 15 really caught us a little bit. They were the hardest holes on the course, and we kind of struggled with those during stroke play. Um, luckily, in the final round against South Carolina, we played really well on those holes, and that's where we made our comeback on the on that Sunday match. But I think we just got to keep you know keep grinding in that fashion and finishing strong because that's. You know, every little shot counts when you're playing at this high level and playing against the best teams in the country. She's Ole Miss women's golf coach Corey Hinkus win an SEC title for the first time in program history. Congratulations. Good luck going forward in the NCAA tournament. Best of luck. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, and I hope you have a great day. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. 
How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. That was Corey Hinkis. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. If you haven't already, subscribe at Review Talk of Champions on iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud. Just simply search Talk of Champions. And I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, affiliate of 247 Sports. Colin does as well. So Ole Miss, we've decided, is not going to host a regional now. Uh, I mean, gut feeling is is that they don't. I don't think – I think they can win 17 and still not host. If this team wins 18 regular season conference games and the Governor's Cup – I think it's locked up, but no, I, I think I, if you made me guess today, I, I don't think they host. I'm going to always predict Ole Miss to lose the Governor's Cup I, until they I'm win again. I'm going to say they lose tonight. I, I, I think I said that, that you know when I was projecting things out that they won. I think they're going to lose because and, and look, uh, Zach Phillips has been good, but Mississippi State hits left-handed pitching. Uh, my biggest worry is that Parker Crazy and Austin Miller aren't available. Uh, Parker Crazy surely isn't available. I would Can't think. be. No, no, there's no way. Um, and I don't know how they close a game without those two guys. So if you made me bet my life on it, I would take Mississippi State. Number six, Texas A&M this weekend at Southern Miss May 1st, then at LSU May 3rd through the 5th, and then Mississippi State May 10th through the 12th at Arkansas State and round things out at Tennessee. It's a pretty hard road they got to travel to finish this off. Yeah, usually you go to Tennessee and you think, oh, that's that's a down program we can get to. No, Tennessee is number nine in the RPI and nine and nine in the SEC this year. That's a team that's going to make a regional. It's going to be a lot tougher going to Knoxville. If Ole Miss doesn't host, how disappointing will this team have been? It'd be a regular season failure, um, you know. And there's still time to to make up for it in the postseason. But no, there's there's no there's no disguising it in my opinion. If this team that is the, the number one recruiting class hosts one regional that they didn't get out of. Um, from a regular season perspective, it's a failure. You no, know, everything's gauged by the postseason. Um, and if this team wins a regional on the road and wins a super regional and goes to Omaha, it's no longer a, a it, you don't deem that a failure. But over a 56 game sample size that this team doesn't host, I, I don't know how you consider anything other than a failure. If the number one class in the country never makes it to Omaha, that's a failure. That's tough. Yeah. yeah. If it never makes it to a super regional, that's even tougher. Yeah. I guess it's the only place to really leave it. This has been Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Bit on Twitter. He's Colin Brister at Colin Brister. I don't know if you'll be back this week, but I will be back for Talk of Champions <laughs> on Thursday. If you haven't already, subscribe at Review Talk of Champions and iTunes. Go check out The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers for you Game of Thrones fans, The Battle of Winterfell on Sunday. I'll be there. I'll be watching it. If you got your questions, drop them in my mentions at Spirit Ben. Thanks, man. We'll talk again. All right, bud. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.